Oh, come on. That was weak. Good morning. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here at TBA. Welcome. So glad that you're here this morning. Before we jump into anything else this morning, I just want to take a moment to say a huge thank you to everybody who was involved in the Halloween party last week. We had our big, yeah, absolutely. We had our big community Halloween party, something that has become a real annual tradition around here. Instead of doing our, our normal worship services Sunday morning, we took the opportunity to serve the community. Our church family came out in a huge way to serve, and I just want to applaud you guys for what you did. It's always hard to tell exactly how many people come to an event like that. It's kind of hard to count, but we're guessing we had between three and 5,000 people on property that day. And here's what's cool about it. Not just the number of people who came, but it's the fact that we were able to serve that many people in the community and show them in a practical way how God loves them. And that's the opportunity for us as a church family to come together and be Jesus' hands and feet in a very practical way. So thank you to you guys. Thank you especially to our event team who helped to put all that together. You may not know this, but the event team comes together over a month ahead of time, and they're working behind the scenes to make sure everything's set up and ready to go and all the the games and the food and everything's planned and ready, and so they do a, a big part of that. So thank you to them for being a part of that. Now, speaking of Halloween... Last night, something that's become an annual tradition for my wife and I is we have done a block party every year at Halloween. Instead of just doing the typical trick-or-treat and you know, handing out a little bit of candy to kids, we've invited our small group, some other friends to come over, and, and we try to do it big. We have a, an inflatable, have a bounce house at the house, and we hand out pulled pork sandwiches and, and drinks, water and stuff, and we had popcorn and different things. And, and so it was kind of cool last night. One of the kids that showed up to the block party looked like this. And I know it's a little difficult to see this on the screen because I stole this picture off my wife's Facebook, but that's Grace in Germany. And I want you to notice, because you probably can't read it real well at the bottom, but he dressed up as many redneck Pastor Brian. (laughs) I just wanted you all to see his camos, and he's got the plastic knife going. He's ready to go hog hunting. And so you guys have teased me about being the redneck pastor on staff, but you have made me famous in actuality because now kids are dressing up for Halloween like me. I just couldn't pass that up. It was too much fun. We had a good time last night, a good way to to reach out into our community, specifically our neighborhood. So today we're starting a new series, and the title of our new series is Obey. Doesn't that sound fun? Aren't you excited that you came this morning to be a part of that, to hear about what it means to be obedient? We're going to be taking the next several weeks to look at some areas that God asks us to be obedient, some specific things like living scent, baptism, generosity, and the Lord's Supper. But before we dig into those topics, I think there's a foundational question that we have to ask, something we have to kind of wrestle through, and that question is this, why? Why are we obedient? Why does God ask for our obedience? What is our motivation in being obedient? What's the purpose behind all of it? And the good news is, as you see, there's a really simple answer. You know what the simple answer is? God's love. God's love. We obey because of God's amazing love for us. All right, we're done. We can go home. Enjoy lunch, watch some football, have a good time. You got it all, right? That's not quite so easy, is it? We say it's a simple answer, and it really is. That is the answer. It's God's love. That's why we obey. That's the motivation behind all of it. But sometimes it doesn't play out that easy for us. We are obedient because God loves us so much that we can't help but be obedient. Our obedience is a demonstration of our love for God, and it is the action of our faith being lived out. Maybe it'd, be, it'd help you to think of it in terms like this. Think about our church, TBA, trusting, believing, acting. What does that look like? What does it really mean? If you've been around for a long time, you probably have heard these things several times, but if you've only been around a little while, maybe you don't really know. We didn't just pull those words out of thin air. Those are words that we feel like 
really exemplify who God has asked us to be as a church family. They are words that speak vision into who we are. We have to choose to trust God in every area of our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We have to make the choice also to believe in the name of Jesus and in the power that comes with that name. It's our belief in Jesus Christ that allows us to experience forgiveness of our sins, to confess to him, and then have relationship with Christ and with our Heavenly Father. Galatians 3.22 says it this way, But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And I know this is a little bit small, it's a little hard to read up here, but I did this in particular because I want you to see this is a part of who we are. When you look, and when you go out into the lobby today, if you make a U-turn to your right out of those center doors, these same signs hang on our wall to remind us all the time about who we are, what we're about. See, when we put our full trust in God, when we believe in the power of his name, and we understand that his intentions are perfect for us and his plans are perfect for us, we are compelled to put our faith to action or to be obedient to what Christ calls us to. It's about acting. 1 John 3, 18 and 19. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Our actions reflect our love. Our actions are motivated by his love. And our action is quite simply our obedience. It's taking everything that we know about God, everything that we're learning in relationship with him, everything we're growing to understand about his character and his amazing love for us, and we're putting it into practice in our lives according to his will and his purpose for us, demonstrating our love of him through our obedience. Maybe it'll help if you listen to Paul's words in his letter to the church of Corinth, and especially in his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you've got to understand a little background of Corinthians. Paul really is addressing the Corinthian church, and honestly, he's calling them out on some things. They've got some truths that they've kind of gotten askew on and they're a little off track. They're not doing things the way they should. The perspective's off. And so Paul's going through and really hammering them on several different issues. But in chapter 5 of his second letter, he steps back and he kind of looks at the big picture. And look at what he says here. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, some of you are kind of detail people, and you know, you pay attention to the little things, and you know that most of the time when I speak, I speak from the New Living Translation because it's an easy translation. I like the way it's easy to read, easy to understand, but I particularly pulled this from NIV because I like a couple of the words that it uses here. For Christ's love compels us. When you read that in the NLT, it actually says, for Christ's love controls us. It's still probably an appropriate um, translation of the word, but I think compels gives such a better picture of what's happening. Because when we come to understand God's love in our lives, when we allow it to go from our head to our hearts and it becomes real for us, we are compelled to return that love. His love is so amazing and so overwhelming in our lives that we can't help but be obedient and to show that love and to reflect that love to others around us. And why do I say that we do it through obedience? Very simple. Look at what he says here. And he died for all that those who live should no longer, what? Live for themselves but for him who died for them. It's a picture of who we're living for. Are we living for us or are we living for him? We come to understand Christ's love for us. We're compelled to love him. We do that by living for him. We trust in him more than we trust in us. We trust in his ways more than we trust in our ways. We trust that what he's doing in our lives is better than what we want to do in our lives. And basically we die to ourselves so that we can truly live for him. 
And you know there's times in life where that's just easy. It makes sense. We go, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God's Word says. Or this is what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do. And that lines up with what I understand. I'm going to be obedient in this because I can see it's for my good. But then there's other times where it's hard. There's other times where God asks us to do something, either through the leading of His Holy Spirit or reading His Word. And we go, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to walk through that. That's not really going to be easy for me. That's not what I want. Sometimes things don't make a lot of sense and we struggle to trust and depend upon God the way he asks us to. There's a, a pastor of a large church out west called Life Church TV and, and uh, the, the pastor's name is Craig Groeschel. You've probably heard of him. In fact, a lot of you probably have the app on your phone, version app, the Bible app. And if you use that, that comes from Life Church. And Craig Groeschel tells this story and I, I was listening to it this past week. He was doing a message on obedience actually. but He went a totally different direction than we did, but I just love this story and I wanted to share it with you this morning. He tells about how when he was a young Christian, and he came to Christ about the age of 18, so he was probably around 20 years old or so, he's sitting in church one morning, and he felt like God said to him, I want you to take all the money in your wallet and give it to that lady sitting across the auditorium. And there's this lady he notices, he's sitting kind of up front, he looks across the auditorium, there's a lady sitting there, and he, he just feels like God's saying, I want you to give all the money in your wallet to that lady. And he kind of wrestles back and forth, and he's going, God, is this really you, or is, is that what you're saying? Did I eat bad pizza last night? Is my mind messing with me? What's going on? And he's wrestling through the whole thing, and he finally decides, I'm going to be obedient. God's speaking to my heart. And so he pulls out his wallet, and he opens it up, and he looks inside, and he's got a $5 bill in his wallet. And he looks down at his wallet, and he looks back up, and he goes, God, what are you doing? What do you think? I mean, this is embarrassing. $5? I'm going to walk all the way across the auditorium to this lady to hand her $5. What's the point in this? And at this point, he's going, okay, I'm going to be obedient, but this doesn't even make sense. And so he walks across the auditorium, he walks up to the lady and he goes, ma'am, I'm sorry, I know this is weird, I know this is going to come off just crazy, but I feel like God's telling me I've got to give you all the money in my wallet. And when I open my wallet, all I have this morning is this $5 bill. And so I'm trying to be obedient, I'm going to give it to you, I know it doesn't make sense, I'm sorry. And he kind of hangs his head in shame and turns to walk away. And the lady almost yells at him, she goes, wait, 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 you don't understand. She said, I'm a single mom, I've got three kids, Times are tough right now. She said, we've been struggling to make it, but you know, we got all our bills paid. We've got groceries. We're, we're doing okay. We're going to make it to payday. But when I came out this morning to come to church, I got in my car and realized I've only got enough gas to get to church. I don't have enough gas to get home. And she goes, this is exactly what I need to get home. And that was the prayer I prayed this morning was, God, if, I fa- if I'm faithful and I go to church and I use all of my gas to get there, you've got to be faithful to get me home. And so she, he sent you, obviously, and gave you the $5. And you go, wow. That's a cool God story. That's an awesome moment. He was obedient. God used him. Really neat. And even though he was embarrassed by it and thought, how could $5 be a big deal? It was in that lady's life. But see, he goes on in telling the story, and he talks about a time a couple years later where he's out in public, and he's, he's walking down the street, and he feels like God says the same thing to him again. He says, I want you to take all the money in your wallet and give it to that guy over there on the street. And he looks over, and the guy looks like he's down on his luck. Maybe he's a homeless person, and and he goes, okay, God, you know, I've seen how you've been faithful before. Okay, I'll be obedient. And he pulls out his wallet and he looks in his wallet and all he has is a $100 bill. No change, no 20s, no 5s, no nothing, just a $100 bill. And he goes, hmm, God, is this really you? Are you speaking? Am I messed up on this? What's going on? Am I supposed to do this? And he chooses this time not to give the $100. And he walks away from it. And he talks about how he looks back at those moments now, nearly 20 years later in life, 
And he's amazed by how God blessed in that moment with $5 and how he, his obedience allowed God to do something cool. But he said, now, 20 years later, I look back at that moment and I wonder, what was God wanting to do with that $100 that he asked me to give and I wasn't obedient to give it? I wonder how many times those stories line up in our lives. We can be obedient when it's convenient and sometimes even when it doesn't make sense, but it's not a big sacrifice for us. But what about when God asks us to be obedient in a moment where it seems like life's unraveling at the seams, where things don't make sense, where it's not logical, nothing lines up? Do you trust God fully in those moments? Do you choose to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense? When it's not logical? When it doesn't seem like it lines up with what it should? I was thinking about that, and the story that came to my mind was the story of Abraham. Think about the story of Abraham in Scripture. You've probably heard this in, in one way or another, whether you've been in church a long time or not, but Abraham's an old man, and his wife Sarah is way beyond childbearing years, but yet they've never had a son, and they've been praying all their lives to have a son. And finally God blesses them with a son, and it's a miracle of God, literally a miracle, because Sarah's way too old to be having babies, Abraham's too old to be raising a son, but they have this son, and it's a miracle of God, and they're so thankful, and they see God's blessing. And then God says, I want you to give up your son. I want you to tie him up and lay him on an altar. I want you to kill him and sacrifice him to me. That son that I promised you, that son that I've blessed you with, I want you to give him back. And Abraham responds in obedience. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't put my kid on an altar. I wouldn't be willing to sacrifice my child. But Abraham responds in obedience and he takes his son and he binds him up and he lays him on the altar and he's ready to kill him. And if you know how the story plays out, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, wait, Abraham, don't do it. We've got a ram over here in the thorn bush for you. I'm providing the offering. You don't have to kill your son. So good to see that you've been obedient. Great. Story works out well. But what if God hadn't shown up like that? Would we still believe that God was faithful if Abraham had actually killed his son and offered him as a sacrifice? If God hadn't shown up in that moment and sent the angel to say, look, I've got a different offering prepared for you, would God still be faithful if things didn't go the way we think they should go? I stop and thinking about that idea of obedience. What are examples that we see in Scripture of obedience, and, and especially obedience no matter what? And the best story I can think of is the story of Christ, and I love how Paul tells it in his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen to these words. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And listen, this is where the story gets good. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, fully God, living in and understanding the amazing place of heaven, understanding his rights as God, understanding all of his power, knowing all that he had, chose to be obedient and give that up and come to earth to live as a mere man. Didn't take away his power. He was still God and fully God, fully man. But he chose to give up those rights. He chose to give up all of that so that he could be obedient to God's plan. And it says he humbled himself in obedience to God to the point that he died the death of a criminal on a cross. Now I can't speak for you, but there's my struggle in plain English. Obedience is fine when I can see the good in it. Obedience is fine when you're telling me not to cross the street because you don't want me to get hit by a car and I see where it's a safety hazard and I go, okay, that makes sense, I'll be obedient. But be obedient to the point that I'm going to die? Or be obedient to the point that I'm going to give up my life? God, that doesn't make sense. Why would you ask me to do that? Really? See, is God still faithful in those moments? When you read the rest of that short passage, you see that God is faithful, but not here on earth. Not the way we might want. God is faithful after Jesus has died on the cross and he comes back to heaven. And it says that he elevates him to a place of great honor. That his name is above every other name. And, and so he is faithful in that moment, but just not here. And if you're like me, you're sitting there going, yeah, but you know that's, that's Jesus you're talking about. He, he already knew the plan. He's fully God. He understands. He knew what he had to do and it was easy for him. See, I don't think it was. Everything I read, everything I see tells me that it wasn't easy for Jesus because he took on the form of man when he came to earth. He felt the same things you and I feel. He walked through temptation and struggle the same way we do. He felt the emotional pain that we feel. He felt the physical pain that he walked through and he chose to do it anyway. Even when he had the power to call it all off and to stop it, he chose to walk through it for you and I. It was obedience Think about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer with his, his dad. He's saying, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Don't make me walk through this. I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to take this cup of wrath. But what's the famous line there? But not my will, but your will be done. I know I can't always have it my way. I'll do it your way. I trust you that much. I trust in your love and your grace that much. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. He didn't want to go through all the pain and suffering. But he chose obedience because he trusted the Father completely. And he demonstrated the most amazing picture of love that you and I have ever seen when he died on that cross. And yet, you and I get tripped up over little things all the time. Things like giving a little bit of money to somebody in need because God asks us to. Things like reading in his word how we need to flee from sexual immorality, but yet we get caught up in those sexual sins all the time. We get tripped up on the little things, and Jesus went all the way to the point of death in obedience. Listen to the next two verses in that same passage from Philippians. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. 
Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now be careful. Don't get caught up in that phrase because I get here all the time and I know a lot of us do where we feel like if we just do a little bit more, if we just work a little harder at it, if we just act a little bit differently, somehow we can earn God's love, somehow we can make him love us better, somehow we can make the relationship better. But Paul's not saying that at all. In fact, he speaks against that over and over and over in his letters. What he's really saying is that we need to live transformed so that others can see God's amazing love through the way that we live our lives. And we do that by what? By obeying. By obeying God with a deep reverence, and fear. And I'm not talking about a fear for your life, although we should have that at some level too because God is that great. But it's a picture of a holy respect, of an absolute understanding and trust in who God is, dependence upon Him, relying on Him in all areas of our lives, demonstrating that we trust Him so much that we will die to ourselves, that we will give up on our own limited perspective and our vain desires, and we will follow His will for our lives. And see, all of this that we talk about comes back to one thing. You can sum it up in one word. Heart. It's all about heart. And I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. See, God asks us to obey, not because he wants us to perform for him, but because he wants our heart. Our obedience should be motivated by our love for him, which comes as a direct response to his amazing love for us. Love that literally died in our place and took on our sin so that we could be free. See, I miss the heart thing all the time. And I get stuck in the trap of following rules. Anybody like that? Heart versus rules. I'm very legalistic. I'm a guy who likes checklists. I mean, even in the way I work day to day, I've got to have a checklist to keep me focused, and I'm not having a good day if I don't check things off of my list. You should come look at my computer screen. I've got a whole to-do list, and the more checks I get on it that day, the better my day has been, the better I feel. But guess what? Our relationship with God is not about a checklist. It's not just about following the rules. And let me give you an example. And I'm not going to spend a bunch of time here because we're going to talk about this in more detail in later weeks, but generosity is a big one for me. This is an area where I struggle a lot to understand the difference in heart and rules. Because see, as I, as I read Scripture and as I understand what God is saying to me, I think he makes it pretty clear that he wants me to tithe. He wants me to give 10% of my income back to the church family and back to him for him to be able to use it. It's his money anyway, not mine. But I see that as something that's clear in Scripture. And, and we can debate over that because different people see things differently. But I don't see anything in Scripture that tells me different. In fact, if anything, I think Jesus goes beyond that to say we really should be doing more than the tithe. But let me tell you where I get hung up. I've been tithing for a long time. It's easy for me to give 10% of my income. I know exactly what Sherry and I bring in. I know when the check's going to come in. I go into my online bill pay and I set it up and it's going out and the check's coming back to the church. I've already got it pre-programmed, easy to go. But what about when God asks me to do something more? What about when God says, I want you to give to that cause or I want you to give to this person? And I want you to do it above and beyond your tithe that you're already giving me. Because, see, I do the tithing thing often out of habit because I've been doing it for so long. Or I do it sometimes even out of obligation almost because I think that's what God's told me to do. And the reality is I'm missing the point when I do that. I'm just checking a box. I'm just 
saying, well, I followed the rules. I did what you asked me to, God. Everything's good. And when he asked me to do something more, I often find myself going, but wait, God, I already gave my tithe. Why are you asking me to give more? I mean, there's all kinds of people in our church that aren't tithing. Why don't you ask one of them to give to that? Why are you asking me? And I find myself caught in that trap of questioning what God's asking me to do, questioning how he's asking me to be generous. When God's looking at me going, I want your heart. I don't care about the box you checked. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't work for me. And I I find myself wrestling all the time going, God, you know my financial situation. You know that I was stupid when I was younger and I didn't make good choices financially. Now I've got debt I'm trying to pay off. And I'm trying to get in a better position so that I can serve you more faithfully. I'm trying to do all the right things. God, why would you ask me to do that? I mean, people already give me a hard time. You're giving too much because you could pay off all your debt if you quit giving to the church like you do. Well, they're right, I could. But that's not what God asked me to do. I get stuck on following the rule instead of trusting God and depending on Him. And look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, you must decide, each decide in your heart how much to give. And listen to this. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Hmm. We've talked about this before. That word cheerfully means hysterical laughter. To give with such joy that you can't contain it. That's how we're supposed to give. And I get stuck in that reluctantly or in response to pressure thing all the time. I'm supposed to give. I've got to check off the box. I've got to do it. And that's not what he's saying. And I don't think Paul's coming back to this saying that we shouldn't tithe or that we shouldn't do some of those basic things that God's asked us to do. He's saying we need to look at it differently. It's a heart condition. It's about where we are. He's challenging our motivation for giving. He's challenging me at the core of who I am. Am I going to be legalistic about it? Am I going to just follow the rules because that's how I'm wired? Or am I going to give because of the relationship that I have with God and what I hear Him asking me to do in my heart? Am I going to trust Him with my finances even when it doesn't make sense? Even when He asked me to give $100 to some guy on the street and I know that that's the last $100 I've got that's got to go somewhere else, am I going to trust Him enough to give it up anyway? See, I think God is saying to us, generosity is one of my character traits. It's part of who I am. And that's how I want you to be. I want you to follow suit with that. I want you to be like me, to carry the same character. We see it all through the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just finances. It's all kinds of different things. We see Jesus say things like, when you pray, go into your prayer closet and pray. Go away from everybody else. Don't let everybody else see what you're doing. Don't do it in the public streets like the Pharisees, but do it in private where only God sees. When you're serving, when you're giving, when you're doing all these different things, do it so that only God knows. And what he's doing is he's challenging our motivation. Why do we do what we do? Why are we obedient? Are we obedient so somebody pats us on the back and gives us an attaboy? Are we obedient because I just can't help but be obedient because I've got to check the box? Or are we obedient because we understand God's love so deeply that we have no choice but to, to give away? We have no choice but to respond in obedience and love. We're compelled to love in that way. What is your motivation? See, I would go so far as to make the bold statement that the level of our obedience is a direct reflection of the quality of our relationship with God. And hear me on this because 
I don't want you to confuse this. I'm not talking about whether or not you go to heaven. I'm not talking about whether or not you have experienced salvation and if you're in right relationship with God. I'm talking about the quality of the relationship. The level of your obedience, I think, is a direct reflection of the quality of relationship that you have with God. See, the closer we are in relationship to God, the more natural and joyful obedience will be. The more we know God, the more the intimacy grows in that relationship, the more we will be compelled by His amazing love for us and will naturally respond in obedience. So I would ask you this question today. Are you being obedient? Are you being obedient? And if you are, why? Why? Are you being obedient for the right reasons? Is it because of the relationship that you have with God? Or is it a multitude of other things? I've only covered a couple this morning. There could be other things that you would mention that you go, well, this is why I'm obedient. But is your motivation right? Are you even thinking about why you do the things that you do? Band, you guys go ahead and come on up. Before we close this morning, I know that when we talk about things like this, this is it's kind of a big picture thing. It's, it's a heart thing. You go, that's all great. I know my motivation needs to be right. I know I need to have the right heart and I need to have the right relationship, and I need to be obedient for the right reasons. I get all of that, but how? How do I do that? What's the practical steps I take? Well, let me simplify it for you. The first step is this. First, you have to come to Christ. If you've not already committed your life to Christ, here's an opportunity to do it today. To come with a surrendered heart and say, God, I trust you more than I trust me. I'm confessing my sins to you. I'm asking you to come in and change my life. And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to change anything about you. You don't have to clean anything up. You don't have to fix anything in your life. You don't have to do anything different. You come broken and messed up like the rest of us. Because guess what? I've been following Christ for 25, 30 years plus, and I'm still broken and messed up. I still struggle. I still wrestle with all these things. You, you heard one of my struggles this morning, how I get stuck in that legalistic box. We still wrestle through those things. But God takes you exactly as you are, and he begins to change your heart. And so that's the first step. And the next step, and this will apply to a lot of you, because there's probably a lot in the room that would say, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been following Christ for several years. But does your action, does your obedience reflect it? Do other people see the relationship that you have with God because of your obedience? And let me paint a picture for you of what it looks like to be obedient. Obedience looks like taking time daily to read God's Word, to understand who he is, to understand who you are because of him, to understand what he's speaking into you, to understand his expectations. It looks like spending time in prayer, in communication with him, intimate conversation, asking him, God, what do you want from me? How do you want me to respond in this situation? What are you asking of me? It looks like serving, plugging in and serving in your church family, plugging in and serving in your community, living as the hands and feet of Jesus in practical ways to show other people God's love. It looks like being generous. That's a hard one. Because you want to talk about where we have trust issues is with our money. Because our money is what gets us through life, right? It's being generous to a point that we say, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. It's not my money anyway, it's yours. I'll trust you with it. I'll do what you ask me to do. Whether you ask me to tithe or whether you ask me to give 98% and live on two, I'll figure it out because you will figure it out. 
and I trust you that much. It looks like a person who is growing in relationship with Christ. That's the big picture of it. These are all different aspects of what it can look like, but it's growing in relationship to where His compelling love literally compels us to love in return. And we love by being obedient, by doing the things He's asked us to do. That's how we express His love to others around us. So what steps are you taking to move towards that deeper relationship with your Heavenly Father? How are you living out that love? Are you being obedient? And if you are, why? Why? Well, that's a hard question to look deep and assess our motivation of why we do things. But it's something we need to do. Let's not be obedient for the wrong reasons. Let's be obedient because of God's love in our lives. Let's let that simple answer play out for us. If you would like to take time this morning and and come and pray, you're welcome to do that. You can come and kneel at the stage. I'll be down front. Some of our other pastors and prayer team will be around. We can pray with you. Especially if you're making that decision to follow Christ, I would encourage you, come and pray with one of us. If you're not comfortable coming and praying with us this morning, at least put it on your connection card, and guess what? There's a checkbox on your connection card for following Christ. Sorry, I just had to put it in there. Check the box. Tell us you're interested in following Christ, but guess what? It's not as easy as checking the box. Because when you check the box, we're going to follow up with you. I'm going to send you an email, and then, like usually happens, you're not going to respond to my email, so I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call you so that we can have a conversation about what it means to follow Christ and start that relationship and begin that new journey. I want to see all of us growing in relationship with Him and being obedient for the right reasons because when Christ begins to transform our hearts, that's when we're going to start transforming the world around us because of His love that pours out through us. Go ahead and stand. Let's pray. And as the band plays, you respond as God leads. God, we just thank you for this morning and just the chance that we've had to come and to to be a part of what you're doing today. God, I thank you for how you're challenging our hearts and how you are continuing to invite us to grow in relationship with you. And God, if I'm being honest, you know, obedience is easy at times. There's times where it just makes sense and, and I can follow and I can do those things. And then there's other times, God, where I don't understand, where it doesn't seem logical, where it doesn't seem to line up with how I think I should be going about life. There's times where it seems like life is unraveling at the seams in front of me and and things aren't going according to plan and I just don't know how to respond in those moments sometimes. But I also know that those are the moments where I have to step back and truly put my trust and my belief into action. I have to live out what I say is my faith. And so I pray that you would strengthen our faith this morning and help us to have that kind of faith that we can put to action. God, speak to our hearts. Help us to look deeper than just whether or not we're being obedient, but to truly look at our motivation and ask the question, why? And if we're not being obedient for the right reasons, God, I pray that you would help us to start taking those steps to trust you in relationship and allow you to change those places in our heart. We can't do it on our own, but you can change us. Change us this morning, God. Help us to be obedient. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.